You guys been down? You guys been good? <clears throat> what? Yeah. I was asking. You been down? You been down to Jorgensen's place, pheasant hunting or anything, Kevin? I don't know if you've been. I haven't been pheasant hunting up there, no. But yeah, yeah. been out there. I've seen all their new. Uh, they remodeled all that. Yeah, they redid all, all their big barn. Yeah, their facility. So. Yeah, that's cool. So nice. Nathan, how's it been going out where you're at? How's well, Southwest Kansas? Busy like normal. So. Yeah, I hear you. What's your brother been doing? Oh, this same. and that. Same. Yeah. Same stuff. Same stuff. Crying about his same. Chiefs. <laughs> oh, geez. We're horrible right now, aren't we? Bad deal. Yeah, we yeah, we can't beat anybody good. I don't I don't talking to some of my buddies. I don't know. Maybe we'll make the playoffs. I think we will. I mean. I give it a 50-50 shot right now. That's what I say. I don't I'm with you. I, I don't know. We haven't beat anybody good. Nope. No. I was telling Jordan. So I had a chance. Jordan, you can put this in the report. I don't care. So when I was uh Younger, you know, I worked for the NFL and got to travel around, do camps, clinics, combines. And then when I moved to uh, Chicago, a couple of my buddies played poker with Jordan, Michael Jordan, and everything. And I, I just always remember them all talking about how it was a lot easier. And I, you know, I mean, I shouldn't say easy, but it was a lot easier for him to get to the top than it was for him to stay on top, you know. And I told Jordan, I said, I kind of feel bad for Mahomes and some of them. And, um, Andy Reid's Andy Reid's loose, you know. I mean, he's loosey goosey. He's a he's a player's coach, and this isn't anything I wouldn't tell anybody. And I've met people who were more Belichick like, or Lou Holtz like, or Bobby Knight like. <laughs> and then there's guys, you know, like Reid, who lets kind of lets the guys do whatever they want and kind of run a little loose ship. And I told Jordan, if you get if you look at Mahomes when he first came into the league, and just like us with our businesses of farming, you know. You first come in, hell, you can devote all your time, attention, everything to watching game film, breaking it down. You're in the weight room. You're doing all this jazz and that. And hell, he inks a, what, $500 million contract. He buys part of the Royals. He's got all kinds of investments. I know he's building a, a new house out here by us. Yeah, he's building some new house out here, not too far from where we're at on, like, some acres. He's doing all kinds of commercials. And I told Jordan, I'm just like, you know, your head just gets filled with a lot of distractions and a lot of things. And, man, it's just the more money you get, as you guys know, the more problems, more headaches. It's just, shit, you just don't have the time to stay as focused, you know. And our whole team kind of looks like, hey, it was stupid penalties, offsides here, holding here. You know, it's just sloppy and mistakes they might not have made when they were younger and more focused. So, I, you know, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if they can get it back because – I think Reed's just going to let him be like, you know, he's just, oh, don't feel the pressure. Just go out there and play. Well, shit. I mean, somebody's going to have to get on someone's ass here before too long. Uh, I don't know. I just haven't seen a lot of those people snap right back. Most of the guys I was around that had won many World Series or Super Bowls, I mean, they were extreme disciplinarians. And, like, I mean, they were just – well, it's like Brady. Look at Brady. I mean, that guy eats like he's a freaking scientist and works out still like a psycho. And, I mean, I don't know. I think that's what it takes. And Kelsey and Hill and Mahomes are just, you know, they're – I don't know if you can rest on your talent alone and win consistently. Let's put it that way. 
year after not year. In the NFL. Gotta, not in the NFL. <laughs> not at the top. Not at the top. So, like I said, hopefully they can get it figured out. But I, I know how hard it is, you know, for people to stay up there and stay consistent, and especially when you come into a lot of money and things and a lot more headaches and problems. So, hopefully they'll figure it out. But yep. I guess we'll see. <laughs> we shall see. Oh, look at there. Nice background. Should I do that or not? I like it. Yeah, that's cool. Hell yeah. So If they haven't got yeah, a kick in the ass gonna... yet, I don't know what's going to make them do it at this point in the year, though. No, no, I agree. I thought they would after they lost a couple. I was like, well, maybe losing a couple will help them out and you'll get focused. Man, I thought Mahomes looked worse last week. Just more. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's just off a little, so. We shall see. Let's roll it, Jordan. Yeah, I say let's get going. Uh, Jordan <clears throat> supposed to be on here, and then I don't know if you guys know a guy named Stacy Davies, I think, or something like that. Stacy Daves. He does uh, beef for Chipotle, but I guess he didn't make it on either. Um, oh, hey. oh, well, we'll go on without him. Um, yeah. I'm sure Nathan and uh, Justin have both been seeing our webinars. Um Next generation agronomy, just because we're talking about uh, making the changes on the farm for the next generation. Um, I say we kind of just jump right into it. I mean, we're row crop guys. You guys probably know a lot more about cattle than we do. But um, I guess what are some changes you guys have been making with your operation the last few years with uh, everything going down with sustainability, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, all that stuff happening in cattle? Hey, Nathan, go go first and introduce yourself and tell everyone where you guys are at and what you do. And same with you, Justin, when you're up. So go ahead, Nathan. Yeah, Nathan Kells. Uh, we're here in southwest Kansas, uh, south of Garden City. Uh, my brother and I are partners here in operation. We really have two sides. Uh, one, the farm side, which we've always had. Uh, we farm about 10,000 acres now. But that is all directed towards uh, our dairy heifer operation that we have, uh, Circle Bar Heifer Ranch, uh, which we currently raise about 27,000 of replacement dairy heifers. So we made that switch to the dairy heifer operation back in 98, um, knowing that the row crop side of things was pretty bleak. And with our water situation dropping here as far as what we can pump, um, just no water available. Um, it was the right move for us at the time and still is. Uh, so everything now is focused growing, you know, for our own operation. We probably grow about 80% roughly of what we need as far as the feedstuff go on the farm side. Um, we run the businesses separate as much as we can. There's always some cross labor uh, at times, especially during harvest. Um, manure. Uh, out here in our region is probably our biggest uh, uh, battle right now, just because of where we're located and the, and the livestock density within 15 miles of here. Um, with these fertilizer prices going crazy, it's going to be a little bit easier here for a while to get rid of it. Um, but there were yards in the area paying people to take your manure. Uh, so that's kind of what we delved into is buying our own trucks and spreaders that we can spread everything we have and then offering some deals to very close neighbors uh, to be able to, to get rid of our manure. Um, 
you know, I, I can't say that we've been directly affected by any of the sustainability uh, issues coming down. Uh, we've had some talks with some of our customers um, that are a little closer, you know, to the end. And, you know, those companies are looking for, you know, a name and a story uh, to be able to put with products. Uh, so we think uh, we might feel some more pressure in the future as far as on the livestock side to maybe do some more, uh, oh, I should say, you know, like putting up shades, for example, in the pens where, you know, economically it doesn't pay, um, but uh, there is some benefit there. And, and it, you know, eventually, you know, you may be uh, kind of pushed in that direction by the end consumer and, and what those in between are telling you to do. Perfect. Uh, Justin, go ahead. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Justin Oldie, we're a dairy in north, well, north central Kansas, southeast Nebraska. Um, you know, probably like a lot of people have been on here, uh, third generation on this facility, you know, been farming since ancestors came over from Germany, whatever, five, six generations ago. Um, you know, Grandpa started with three cows, a 4-H project, uh, grew into it. Um, now three brothers involved. We uh, milk on on two sites, like I said, one in Kansas, one in Nebraska. Um, we've got a, a heifer yard where we do our own heifers and then another another dairy. We're about 3,000 head down there. We milk about 30, 3,200 cows um, in total right now. You know, farming-wise, we cover about 3,000 acres and well, about 3,500 acres. And then, um, yeah, I think that's probably about, about an outlay of where we're at. Um, you know, kind of like Nathan was talking about, I don't know that we've hit the, I would almost say we got hit with the animal welfare stuff, but in the last 10 years, maybe, you know, and then since it's kind of gone climate, I mean, we've, we've done some things, animal welfare care. Um, we do audits. We have, you know, our, all of our guys take, uh, you know, training and we document all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, going through all those, uh, I don't know if hoops you want to call it, but checking all the boxes off, make sure everybody's trained, consumers comfortable with where we're at on that stuff. So yeah, on the actual climate part of it, you know, from the farming standpoint, we've no-tilled since mid nineties, probably. We've done cover crops for probably 10 years now. Um, I'm, I think the manure is fantastic as far as what you can do with yields and I think health on the soil and so on and so forth. Then um, it kind of like he alluded to too, now fertilizer prices, Continuing to go up, that uh, manure becomes becomes pretty valuable. We can we can we can throw you know two three hundred pounds of n on an acre, you know, dragline and some different things. So I think there's a there's a lot of opportunity, but also it's just kind of confusing as far as what are the rules, what what's the game we're playing, you know, where what defines what. So you know, it's there's just so many questions. And I know I've heard you guys talk about this on, on prior ones. You know what's the definitions, and I think I think if we can kind of drill in on what exactly how we're measured, um, I think we can do a lot of good things. But you know, until then, you're just kind of looking looking at not all what Nathan had to say about this, but kind of looking from the sideline, like, well, yeah, I kind of want to do that, or I kind of want to do that, but you know, you don't want to jump into anything too soon or, or in the wrong direction or whatever. So, yeah, I agree. What uh, are you guys? I know some. I've heard some people anyway doing some pretty bigger deals, uh, even out in Kansas and some other places with the dairies and piping the manure or, you know, running the manure other to other farms and to often to other areas. Are you guys do any of that or just use most of it yourself? 
Nathan, you? Uh, like I said, we, we're spreading our dry. We don't have anything you know, liquid here. Ours is a dry lot without the dairy washing or anything. So everything we do is dry, typical. Uh, uh, with as much, or as dry as it is typically year round, we can just haul right out, direct out of the pen and spread. Uh, so we've been able to, to utilize neighbors, you know, to be able to utilize it like that. Todd, what's Prairie Foods doing? Aren't they doing something like that? Yeah, they're down, they're down your way. Uh, Nathan and Pratt, oh, Pratt's getting that down way, isn't it? Pratt, Kansas. They, uh, yeah. So they're just, they're taking manures. I mean, their, their business model is going to be set up within 50 miles of these places and uh, take it, process it with their technology and dump it on this prairie food, which is basically straight uh, straight carbon. So they'll be up and running here soon. I think uh, they'll be able to help you with potentially your manure issues. I think, I think Nathan's saying they, they got too much manure in their area. They're manure heavy. No, that's what I mean. They, they can take it all. They might be able to buy it. I don't know how it's going to work out, but that may be a place to dump it here in the near future. Huh. Interesting. We're looking at a couple of, just uh, from a methane standpoint, the digesters in the past, they always kind of been for electricity, power, so on and so forth. I know a lot of guys now are putting them in as far as a, uh, using the methane and, and I think they're putting in the natural gas line just almost as a direct uh, natural gas source. So I don't understand at all. I know California's got some carbon credits or green credits or something like that. And that's kind of getting a lot of infrastructure built um, in the dairy industry. The thing is you know, like where Nathan's at, everything's open lot that works better on a confined, you know, on concrete um, in a building type type situation. So. What type of, uh, pressure you guys think you're going to see in the dairy industry from i guess outside other you know like this big rally in oats there's you know because everybody's interested in the the oat milk and the different types of products that are going to maybe take some market share uh from dairy what do you what do you guys see yeah what do you think justin it's actually already taken a pretty good bite um the, from the market standpoint Fluid production has gone down, <clears throat> sorry, consumption has gone down since probably the 60s, maybe, but it's kind of been made up in cheese consumption. So people are eating dairy and they're not drinking dairy um, generally. And then the, the soy milks, oat milks, that's definitely cut into the to the, uh, the fluid market. Um, you know, it, it was noticeable going into 2020. Uh, it's hard to see where anything's actually at right now. Um, but yeah, it's... I don't, I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't think that's probably going to change going forward, but I actually had a discussion this morning. It's like, do we become a fertilizer slash uh, natural gas plant, quote unquote, you know, and the milk's almost secondary. I mean, can we put enough in from a, from a green standpoint or from a fuel standpoint? Is that more of a play in the next 10 to 20 years? I, I don't know. I just kind of asking the question. So. I don't know. Nathan, where are you, Nathan, you seeing a shift and where you guys are, getting mostly where are you feeding mostly to out of uh out of the country or are you up in wisconsin where, where you uh wisconsin at kansas and now we had a shift uh to the east out of georgia actually I have a very large producer there now which is only about 100 miles further than wisconsin is um so we've kind of th those are the main regions where we're focused at now um just from our standpoint you just 
continue to see the consolidation in the industry. Uh, don't see that changing. Um, I think we're going to continue that way. Uh, you know, losing some of the, you know, the hundred to five hundred cow dairies for sure are are, are going to be a thing of the past. Interesting talk with some other people that are looking to expand. You know, they already have a location or two. A lot of interest continue. I think in the future, the robotic uh, dairies. Um, you know, to take care of the labor uh, issues. But you know, back I guess on the question of more of the of the you know other type of quote unquote milks taking market share. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think. You know, I, I'm cautiously optimistic that this is somewhat of a fad. I don't think it's going to go away, but I don't know that we're going to see the growth that we've seen over the past five years. Maybe that's being too optimistic, but uh, kind of seems like there's been a, and I don't know if it was on your report that I read or not, you know, with, with the fake meats um, kind of hitting the wall here a little bit with their growth and, and some of that. So maybe we're starting to pull back from that growth just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think the trajectory. I mean, Jordan, you tell. Yeah, I don't think what? the trajectory is near as high on the adoption rate side of things on that stuff, but I do think it's going to slowly continue to grow. And I guess I don't really see like the people that are adopting the soy, the almond. I know the almond milk's huge now, the fake meat, all that. I mean, they continue to eat it and it doesn't seem like there's any turning back on uh those sides of things um going back to regular milk or regular beef or things like that but i do see more and more people trying it i wouldn't say they're like overly obsessed with it but they are eating it so or drinking it which it's a huge like some of that stuff they're using in a lot of the uh companies on the milk like the soy milk or things like that, uh, oat milk. I know Starbucks, they charge like a huge premium for that oat milk. Um, not sure why it's probably cheaper to produce. I would imagine just another marketing tool. So. Yeah. I don't, I don't, where's your guys' stance on, I mean, I don't see that changing. I mean, I'm, I know Nathan said he's optimistic, but I don't know. I've tried to quiz all these kids when I see them order that, or I see them, order the fake meat or the oat milk or this or that. And I mean, it's the same response for every single one of them. It isn't, I've said it before, it isn't necessarily save the planet. They, they think there's this big myth about animal cruelty and they think they're like saving a cow. And, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, you see TikToks of these cow, you know, cow, cow doing the, and then the kids like, oh, see, the cows got emotions. They they have feelings too. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Well, I'm telling you, that shit is not going away. It doesn't feel like. I feel like it's getting bigger and even bigger. And that's where I'm like, I don't know where the hell that that parade ends. I mean, what do you guys? I mean, how do you guys see? You know, you see the big the big push that direction. I'm sure at least you hear it or read it. What do you think? I think you're right. I don't think it's going away. I hope the growth slows down. At some point, they're going to run into, there's a couple things. You talk about water on dairies. It's like, well, you want to know what almond milk does for, for water to California? I mean, how much water they export and so on and so forth. Um, you know, do you get into a spot where a company's pushing for margins and, you know, cut some corners or, you know, I don't know. Um, 
you know, in the U.S. is probably, yeah, I'm a little bit worried once they get hooked, they, they kind of stay there. I mean, I'll argue all day from a nutritional standpoint, you get nothing out of it, but that's not what they're looking at to Kevin's point. Um, so yeah. I, I do think there's growth, but it's probably more internationally. And then, you know, those people that are going to go that direction, I, I, I don't know what exactly we're going to do. Um, the one thing right now, and that might change is, you know, like cheese, nobody can make a cheese that's worth a damn. That's not made out of milk. So, and then, you know, from a protein standpoint, non-fats and so on and so forth, that, that's a pretty good protein you can put anywhere in the, in the world. So. It's hey, Justin or, or Nathan. Like, no, Todd, I was just going to say, it's like everything else. I mean, seven, eight years ago when I was talking to the ethanol industry and talking about electric and remember how much shit I caught on that. And, you know, and I was heavily invested in ethanol and I, I just said, I, I see where this is going. I mean, there's no question in my mind. And how do we get there? Like everything in life, gradually then all at once, you know, it's how'd you get old gradually and all at once. How'd you get in debt gradually? And then shit, you woke up one day and hell you got filed bankruptcy. I mean, it's just like everything. And I think that's probably where we go with this. It'll continue to tick along. And then one day we're going to be like, how in the hell did we end up here? And, uh, I don't know. Like I said, I don't, I don't see it slowing down or uh, changing a whole lot as our disconnect with the farm continues to grow and grow. And, and to give you guys an idea where it really, I mean, just everywhere I turn, it's just the same damn thing. And Todd sent me in a story on how hunting is changing a lot and I'm running it tomorrow. And I was laughing because I didn't laugh. It's kind of sad because it said as the boomers got to age 70, they really drop off on going out hunting, you know, once they kind of hit 70 or whatever. And the number of permits across the U.S. to just, you know, you were at like 225 million people in 1980. Now we're at like 333 million. But the number of hunting permits is, you know, way down from where it was. And it's just like everything else. I mean, you know, we all used to hunt and everything. It was like a family bonding experience. And it still is. But as those... I, that's the way I view it. I mean, as those threads are torn and pulled away, that's where we get this huge disconnect all across America. And I see it in food as well. I mean, as more and more people, I, like I said to you, there was one study done where I think in the 80s, any kid in any elementary school could touch someone in their class that could take them to a farm, tell them about a farm, had a friend or dad that worked on a farm all across the United States. Now that's simply not the case. I mean, people have no idea about a farm and you know, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know, but it's just crazy to see it across everything from hunting to food to, to just everything. And, and it seems like as more, as we get older and older, our generation who did those things that way and we get the more of the disconnect, I, I, I guess it's just going to change everything. It's going to change all the way across the board. I mean, Todd, you agree? They're muted up. I don't see that change. I don't see how it can, but it makes me wonder. First, I was going to ask you guys on the cheese plant that uh, isn't that one going in Nebraska or out in your area, Nathan? Yeah, in Dodge City. There's supposed to be one coming in in Dodge. Well, there might be one going in Nebraska, but I mean, is that, is those guys, is that an opportunity for you guys, or can you guys get together and make your own cheese plant? I don't know how big these things are, but I mean, what else can you guys do, you know, for creating enterprises within that? You know, make your own ice cream. I mean, what is there? To do besides wait, wait, and waste away. 
Yeah, Justin might be better on this than me, but uh, you know those those are pretty big plans, pretty 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 big dollar, uh, obviously investment. I think the one here in Garden was like, uh, oh golly, I want to say three hundred million, um, you know, for the dry for the dry plant. Um, so you know, it, it gets pretty rough to just do a you know one or two guy thing. It has to be pretty big. Um, you know, I I agree with Kevin as far as you know on the the social media part of things and. And uh, thinking that you're saving a, saving a cow or or, uh, or or whatnot by by ordering the almond milk, you know, I, that's going to be the biggest challenge. Like I said, it, it's not going to get any easier. Uh, I know that really should be our number one thing is trying to connect with consumers and and being out there. And so, you know, I'm pretty involved in Farm Bureau and, and trying to encourage that side of things anything anytime that I can. But as far as the opportunities just from, uh, you know, a, a yard like ours, you know, we're, <laughs> we have a lot of opportunity already, so we're not really looking for any more. And a lot of the big dairies out here that will be going, or maybe to be built for that cheese plant, you know, we, we're not really looking to expand. We've kind of maxed out what we feel we can do right here, um, which is a good problem to have, I guess, that, uh, that you have additional customers wanting to come and, uh, you know, we just can't, can't accommodate them. So that, that's always a good problem to have, I guess. Yeah, I guess, I, I, I guess the main question, like Todd said, what, what, what do you think you guys, I know both of you, uh, good family guy, what do you think is going to be around for your kids or their kids? <laughs> that's the one that always gets in my, I'm like, ah, man, that could, I don't know. What do you guys think? Justin? Trying to figure that out. I mean, I always go back to, you know, basically I think as farmers, we harvest sunlight and water, right? I mean, you turn it into corn, you turn it into milk, you turn it into something else. Um, you know, with all this lab stuff, everything else going on, it's got to come from somewhere. So, I mean, you can't just make something out of nothing. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure. I'm not 100% sure where that goes. Um, I don't think the dairy industry goes away. Um, I think it, it definitely could have some changes, um, you know, to Nathan's point. Yeah, it's extremely hard. Maybe somebody can, but most of us, you know, you can't compete in the, in the cheese making side of it because it's just too competitive. Um, so there's got to be possibly another avenue there, another window there. You know, maybe with more of this eat at home stuff, maybe with more of this uh, um, electronic stuff, Zoom stuff, you know. We can do virtual everything, you know, maybe we can get people connected to the farm a little bit better that way and maybe kind of go back from the bigger, bigger side of things. One thing I've learned is people always say they want something, but then they, when it comes down to dollars, they never want to pay for it or rarely want to pay for it. Um, it's kind of been my experience. So, but I'm also, that's one reason I like reading your report and everything. I like getting somebody else's perspective because I kind of say tongue in cheek, we, we work with animals because we don't want to work with people. So we live out here in the middle of nowhere. We don't really have any gauge on what stuff's going on in Kansas City. It's like, just leave us the hell alone and let us do our job, right? But that's not, you know, when you're trying to read trends and customers and everything, it doesn't get you very far, so. Hey, Justin, that's, no. that's a great mentality to have going into trying to connect with your uh, clientele right there. I'm sorry. I couldn't pass on that. No, yeah, I agree. I, I think that's one of the toughest obstacles, though. It's like, you're out, you're in a business that is consumer driven and consumer based. But for all of us, we 
hell, Jordan's always telling me, dad, go back behind your gate. That's where you like it more, you know, <laughs> back behind the gate and you don't have to deal with anyone. I'm like, I like, I love it. But yeah, it's, it's tough to, to get a good read. That's why we really liked when we did that initial investment uh, with iSelect and they continue to run new company and new consumer data and trends across our table, which I told Jordan, I said, well, it just keeps us kind of in the loop, you know, and keeps us in the mix. And so that's, you know, I was had that talk with Todd when I saw him last time, my wife, I said, I don't think I've ever made a damn penny off a lot of some of these outside investments I've ever done. But a guy told me one time, he said, you belong to any country clubs. And I said, hell no, I don't belong to any country clubs. And uh, he said, well, look at it like you're belonging to some country clubs when you write some checks, you know, these capital call checks and, you know, throw some money at these things. He's like, you know, you get to meet a lot of people that's tell a lot of different perspective and, and, you know, maybe that'll help you with other stuff. Okay. I feel a lot better now when I have my wife write those checks every other month, it seems like. So, but no, you're right, Justin, it's hard to get a good gauge um, on consumer trends and where things are going. And, you know, I love talking to you guys. And then I'll go over and talk with Benson Hills and the really high tech folks. And, you know, they're telling me another shift or dynamic. And I think it's going to be interesting how things play out with animal feed. You know, it seems like there's some big adjustments that we're seeing at least come across my desk on people trying to change the animal feed side of things, whether it's from aqua, how they're feeding the salmon or to how they're feeding dairy. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out just because so much of our consumption and demand on the row crop side is, you know, number two, yellow corn, or whether it's me, a traditional meal or something like that, if they make any decent sizable changes, I think that could, uh, there could be some plays there for some premium or some, for some benefits for sure. Even don't you think the, Jordan? Yeah. Even on like the blockchain type of stuff, I think that's coming down the pipe in the livestock industry. I think they're even going to get down to even like on the feed. Like if you're not feeding your cows organic corn or organic, uh, any type of feed that, uh, it's not going to be an organic, <laughs> not going to be an organic beef or organic, uh, milk or however, any type of those things. Have you guys seen anything like that? Uh, like feeding the cows organic and then marketing it as organic milk or beef. Yeah, one of our customers switched uh, about two years ago, I think it was, to uh, non-GMO feed so they could, you know, call it organic, uh, organically deal. Now, how far down the chain that goes, um, it didn't quite make it here yet. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, yeah, that was a change that they made because of that end, you know, the marketing on the end user Um Right around it, you know, they've done, they've done, uh, it, let me say it this way. It wasn't, you know, they were kind of fearful of it as uh, switching to, to that, but it uh, seems like the transition has gone smoother than they expected. As far as procuring the feed and, and mm -hmm. getting the farm switch to grow, to grow it. And, and Jordan, we've got, we've got a couple of cust uh, clients that uh, they made that switch, reduced their herd size quite a bit. They went to non-GMO feed, and then they, but then they were able to go direct and pitch it to us. So, I mean, I don't, I can't remember who the hell they pitched it to. It was, I don't know whether it's a Whole Foods or a Chipotle type, some type of you know business like that where they went direct. And I'm pretty sure they reduced their herd by a damn near a third or two thirds. And uh, 
said they were making more money finally uh, on, on the profit side of it. But yeah, that's, that's scary. I mean, that's a, I'm with Justin. Those are some scary moves there, but I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I think that's, that's interesting. So like I said, we had heard too in the last five years, more people being selected. I, I've seen more people calling and talking about moving closer, you know, moving and buying pasture ground. Like I said, closer to the urban areas and some things to try and go direct whether it was with the beef side or I haven't seen or heard any dairy operations uh, make that play, but I guess I could see that being something, I guess. I mean, you know, who knows? So I think something that always wrestles in our mind too, you guys are talking about organic and there's what people have pictured in their heads and then there's what it actually consists of. And, you know, we, we talked about, you know, being humane and treating animals well and everything else. And it's just like, and we're getting better and we're trying to cut antibiotics out, you know, so on and so forth. But it's like, well, dang, if I got a sick cow, I want to treat her. Like, you know, if she's organic, that prevents you from doing that. And I don't know that people always necessarily kind of think through all the steps of that stuff. It's like, is there, you know, using less is good. You know, have we used too much in the past, you know, as an industry? Yeah. You know, can we get better? Yes. Does it force us to do that? I think so. But, you know, it's just like, you know, if you got a kid, I got an infection or something like that. I mean, you take him to the doctor and you get them treated, you know, and it's just like, and then you're kind of told to do something else with your animal. So it's, I don't know, it's always a little bit of conflicting of what, what's the actual, what, what it, what it is and what people perceive it to be. So. Well, yeah, it's like non-pasteurized milk. I mean, <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> like, it gets a little crazy. I mean, I, I hear you. I, and I, you know, and like I said, I, I love whenever I go out with any of my producers, we go out to eat or anything. And I say it all the time. And, you know, if we end up at a fancy steak joint and they bring out the three, you know, you can have this grass fed organic, or this is just your regular USDA. Everybody takes, no, I want the one with all the shots and all the shit in it. That's the one I'm taking. So it's funny. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, all the producers and everyone who's right there, they say the same as you, Justin. It's like, I mean, nobody wants to hurt their animals. Nobody wants to do anything bad to their animals. Nobody's out trying to jack up their operation or their business. You know, I mean, that's even Lucy at Cargill, uh, uh, Lucy Setzer, you know, her, her granddad uh, owned Cargill. And she's like, she hears it constantly, all this animal abuse problems. And she's like, we go all over. She's like, I've been everywhere. I've looked at every, you know, all these operations in the United States. And she's like, I don't ever see anywhere the cattle or the animals are treated poorly. I mean, it would be in no one's best interest. I'm not saying there aren't some isolated instances in, in some places, but I've, I've never come across. I've never seen anything. So I don't know. It's crazy information that spreads. So I, I don't know how we battle it. And we got to learn a little bit too. Like we had all of our, you know, we've got about 80 employees now. And I mentioned earlier, we got to go through all this training and this is how you treat animals. And, you know, it's, it's good for everybody to go through it. I mean, don't get me wrong, but so we did it all. And then we had our audit and this is just a, you know, farm kid thing. Right. It's like, well, did you do it? Yeah. It's like, well, we didn't have the roll call sheet done. Right. Right. So it's like, well, does it freaking make a difference? <laughs> we taught them, but you know, that's just something that we've got, I think in ag, especially, you know, like when I was younger, dad's like, well, damn it, just go do it or, you know, figure it out. But, you know, kind of documenting all this stuff. And it's just not, it's just not something we're necessarily used to. So I don't know, just a small True. example, but. How important do you think that documentation stuff going to be moving forward? 
or how much they're going to pressure other farms to do it. Like, I think I you're not going to be able to produce without it before too long. Yeah, I don't think generally. And it's really not that's that big a deal. That's stuff we should be teaching them anyway. So, yeah, Jordan and I are the, of the belief, and we're trying to push our investment dollars towards these people who are, I guess, on the forefront of blockchaining agriculture, blockchaining moving and all blockchain. Like I said before, it's just a ledger, a database. It's online, you know, and can be validity can be seen by anyone. I mean, if there's a dairy problem. Or we get, you know, you get a truck that is full of bad milk or something. You can pinpoint it just to a Nat's ass, just boom. And I think we have that already with most operators, but it's just fragmented. Everyone's kind of got their own plan, their own program. I think eventually that gets all standardized out. Like you were saying, with all the, all the documentations across all the lines and, you know, including what, what's been fed how many shots, everything that's in the cow, you know, what's cow, you can pinpoint exactly to where it came. And I see that. I see us going that direction. So I don't know how soon we get there, but like Justin says, I think we're going there for sure. Are you guys, well, you, you guys using any of those like uh, ear tags, those electronic ear tags that track them all? Well, that's just what I was going to say. We're honestly already doing that. Um, you know, we've got the EID tags in them. We're wanting them. And that's one thing I think in the dairy industry, we're usually, because we work with them closer all the time. I mean, we just do more stuff than the beef guys. And that's not a knock or anything. That's just an observation. But yeah, I mean, I can run downstairs here right now. I can pull up cows in the front of the barn here. I can tell you when she calved. I can tell you when we brought her. I can tell you how many times she's been treated, uh, how much milk she's given, if there's any issues. You know, I can go through. I, I have all of that right now. It's just, you know, the blockchain part of it would just be kind of tying that. And then how do you, go to the consumer with that and what kind of value or what do you want to show, you know? So. Yep. I agree. What's so, so what's like, for sure. what would be stopping you from tying that into a blockchain and as easy as giving the cow a name and pitching it to one of those end users. I mean, I think that's what kind of a lot of these people are looking for. I mean, if you already got all that in place. I don't know how that works practically. So like right now, most of our Kansas milk, we sell to DFA, which is a co-op. They market our milk for us. Well, the majority of our milk is going to Kansas City. So if you guys are drinking milk in Kansas City, you're drinking our milk. Um, but, you know, you go in there and those silos hold, I don't know, 10, 15 loads of milk, right? So ours is going in there, but so is everybody else's. Um, you know, getting an individual cow's milk packaged or delivered or and that's all doable but it's uh inefficient expensive and you want to go back to the whole green thing it's like you're kind of going backwards i think on the carbon deal kind of sorting that all out so i i don't know if it's something we want to do individually or as an industry i i don't know um i really don't and like I, uh what's keeping you from like i guess like contacting like that uh chateau milk that those people that already charged like an arm and a leg for their milk. Um. <laughs> they, you know, they've done a really good job. Um, you know, they're, they're in a good situation. I mean, they're smaller. Their, their supply is good for the Kansas city area. Right. I mean, there's a lot of people, they don't have a whole lot of milk per se necessarily. Um, 
who pro- I don't know. I guess you just haven't really thought of it. There, there's a- do they have certain producers they're working with, or do they just buying it from like where you're selling it and then just marketing it better? No, they they've got a unless something's changed, that's their own milk. I mean, they produce it and bottle it and sell it. Okay. Oh, really? But yeah, that last I knew. Huh. Yeah, Jordan used to try and get us Michelle and I to buy him that chocolate milk. You know, I'm like, really good. Out of your mind, I ain't paying. Yeah, it's good. I'm like, I ain't paying up for that shit. I mean, <laughs> buy this regular cheap brand over here. Now he's like, you know, the bottles are cool and they're thick and everything. Like, damn, they were, that is a premium too. So, and well, it's, I, yeah. The, the food market is just really, and maybe the beef market is kind of similar. It's just really hard to get with the rules and regs and everything else that are around it. It's just really, 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 and you guys know more about that than I do, you know, getting on a store shelf and, you know, could you get a supply agreement with a Dillon's or somebody like that? I mean, it, it, it takes a lot. So. Yeah. I think too, there's gotta be some standardized platform, Jordan, like eventually there'll be some standardized protocol or platform that will allow someone like Justin and them to go direct. I mean, that's right what now I'm it's saying. just, yeah, right now though, each end user, I mean, hell, how do you do? I'm with Justin. It's like, how, how, how is he supposed to get his information, put it on a usable blockchain type ledger that Dylan, yeah, like Dylan's going to use or uh price shot, you know, or any of the big ones. I mean, cause they're all different. It's like, there's no way. So it's like, I don't know until that changes or shifts. I guess it will change or shift. That's what they're trying to tell us at Benson and some of the other bigger places. They see that coming eventually. Like, you know, these cows over here, uh, this dairy is feeding, you know, this type of meal that's producing this type of, maybe it's a milk that maybe they're trying to say we can go as far as change the feed. And maybe all of a sudden you have people who are lactose intolerant it can now drink that milk by just simply the change in the feed. And then that would allow that milk to go to certain, you know, maybe, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I don't, I don't know that much, but I guess if you start to get that where you can spin a gene and take something in or out that maybe that does end up happening. So I, I, I think, I guess that's maybe where we end up, but we've got to get more standardized. I think where people can do that though. So Makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Todd, do you have any questions? Anybody write in? No, the uh, the one thing I was going to ask, and we had uh, between the Jorgensons and Oldies, and you guys got multiple generations there. I was going to kind of get into the decision making process because we got you know people listening that are in that multi generational. How do you factor? How the decision making process go? And you know, is the younger folks getting to make decisions and help there? Because I'd happen to watch some videos on some of. Uh, the other guys and you, and you saw that played out and so forget about the dairy industry as a whole but from a business standpoint for all the guys what's uh justin for you guys i mean how important was uh how was the decision making process when there's three generations out there working on the same place um i was pretty fortunate um i family's unique or whatever i guess uh you know grandpa handed over a lot of the decision making to dad when he was younger um dad did the same thing with us um you know, I'm 38 now and then been making the majority of the decisions probably for 15 years or something like that. Um, you know, and it's, it's very much appreciated because they kind of, you know, step, I mean, they're obviously still involved. Um, but you know, also kind of step back and realize like, Hey, they want to get us involved. They want to get us moving. You know, if that's, 
if we don't do that, we're either not going to contribute or leave probably, <laughs> I would say. But um, no, it's something our family talked about a lot has, um, you know, I'm, I've got a five-year-old girl now. My brother's got a one-year-old, you know, cause so kind of something that's crazy. It seems like we're still trying to figure out this last generation and then, but you're trying to get the next one um, rolled in and how do you get everything incorporated and everything like that. So um, no, uh, a lot of communication and, and then trust um, on the elders, elder generations on us. I mean, that's kind of how it works where I grew up. So, and I know that's not, not normal. So I, no, that's good. So it wasn't a lot of battles when you had a new idea necessarily. I don't think so. One thing about dairy, you're busy enough too. If you you're too tired to fight by the end of the day. So <laughs> that probably helped a little bit. And Nathan, you guys train in the next generation. You've been around since 2000, correct? Ah, uh, well, that's when you started the dairy. Uh, the dairy for, yeah, I'm fifth generation. We've been here since 1885. Oh, okay. And you guys don't so, do that. They come from a little bit of cattle. <laughs> yeah. So the, so we were on the beef side of things, you know, up, up until the, the, the family started the dairy and that's how we got into it. Uh, it's since out of that business, but that's how we got into the dairy deal. But now kind of the same situation with Justin. We were fortunate, I guess, to get the reins passed down very quickly. Uh, when I came back, I bought my grandfather out. My brother came back, I bought my dad out. And, and some of that has to do with some medical issues now. Um, you know, so he's not even involved in the operation. So yeah, we're already looking um, and having some of those conversations with, uh, you know, it was a lot different when we got in the, when in the operation to looking down the road, five, 10 years, uh, you know, bringing in, you know, son, son-in-law or, or, or others, or what are we going to do? So that's a whole different dynamic than, than what we had to face when I came back to the farm. Uh, obviously we've grown from, you know, we had one employee when I came back to, like I said, over 55 now. So the size and the scope is just totally different. But one thing that uh, was was passed along to us that we still use and I, I highly recommend is, you know, getting a, a family me mediator. Um, uh, we've been able, fortunate to uh, have someone, whether you call them a, a business coach or, or a mediator or whatever it is, having that person there to kind of hold you accountable uh, getting some meetings, you know, set on the, on the books. Um, always need to do more of it. It seems like, but, uh, but that's every penny well worth spent that, that we've spent on that, uh, and, and have more work to do for sure. Uh, coming down, we just, like I said, starting to think about the, the next generation and, and starting to think about wanting to slow down ourselves a little bit. So what's that's going to look like, but trying to be trying to be proactive and you know attend the conferences and get the meetings done so i've uh, I've, I've actually tied along as long i've actually had more friends and people in the business um uh, sell out i mean they, they i shouldn't say sell out they just had an exit strategy like you were saying you bought the company from or you bought out your, your grandpa's share and uh Vance brought out uh, your father's share and you only had one employee at the time. Well, I mean, now the valuation is going to be massively, massively more. And it's like, how, how do you exit? And I've, I've listened to a couple of really sharp people that have sold recently in the last five years. And they, you know, they just had to powwow with the kids and said, is this where your heart and your passion lies? Is this really what you want to do? And, and they actually had a big exit 
I mean, sold for some huge valuation and then gave the kids the money basically to back them on a business that they wanted to do, whether it was in, some of them went into real estate, some of them went into some other things and, and they've done pretty darn well. I mean, it looks like they're going to get things built and they're probably going to be off to a good career and a good start. So, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with an exit strategy uh, for a lot of folks. You know, I, I think you got to consider all of those tools and options. I, Todd, we talked about that the other day. I mean, if you don't have a plan or you're not going to pivot massively or you're not going to really be out ahead of a lot of those consumer trends or changes that may impact or government changes, you, you nothing wrong with an exit. I mean, <laughs> bank the money and they'll tell the kids, you know, starting to start the next thing. I mean, I, yeah. if you look through history, there aren't very many businesses that have ever made it four and five generations. They just aren't. I mean, it is like an anomaly. It's it's really odd for that to happen. But I, I think, you know, in farming, probably more than any, it, it has happened. So, but at some point in time, that that probably comes to to an end for for a lot of folks. But I don't know. So it's definitely a good question, Todd. I mean, especially in in the way we're turning as rapidly as we're changing. So, Jordan, what else we have? I was just going to ask him a little bit on like. Uh... You guys seeing labor issues out in uh, where you're at? I mean, you guys, I mean, you got 55 and then I think you said you got 80. I mean, obviously you guys got to employ a lot more people than uh, the row crop side of things, but uh, how is it getting employees out there or keeping them? It's, uh, you know, always a struggle. You know, I was, you know, in the past, our top two is water and employees and, and pick your order. Uh, we have utilized the H2A. Um, been very successful uh, just word of mouth uh, with some uh, German guys out of Mexico um, to be honest and and they bring their families which is not typical h2a uh, side of things um, but yeah just tr- going out on the street trying to find somebody uh, extremely difficult um, you know we're just like everywhere else in, in the country uh, wages of they're going through the roof uh, I've got <laughs> my uh, uh, my son's buddy and you know working in town 18 bucks the car wash you know uh, you know uh, some large uh, you know large uh, packing plants offering 21 bucks plus three thousand dollar signing bonus um, just advertised this week so you know the wages are definitely um, continue to rise out here and and just getting people to these rural areas is extremely difficult so without the h2a with the immigration labor that we have we I don't know. We would be down. Wouldn't be doing uh, what we're doing today for sure. Uh, we have ourselves uh, proceeded to uh, to be able to uh, to make an application to get some guys uh, with permanent workers cards. It's a long freaking ordeal, um, but we've had some success there. And you know, these people want to be here. They 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 love it. They have you know families. Uh, they they don't want to have to go back and forth so you know that's our hope that we see some continued uh, immigration policy change that makes it easier for for these people to come in or unfortunately if they're already here you know doing something about that but, but yeah definitely a challenge um what are you saying just say yeah it's been tougher um our and it goes back to employees, but, you know, our crew has done a really, really good job. Uh, we were 
you're looking at the guys, you know, not real great on the labor side of it 10, 15 years ago. Um, you know, we've worked on culture and everything for the last decade. Um, and I think we're seeing some of the dividends pay. Uh, you know, most of our guys have been around for quite a while. We've got a couple positions that turn faster um, and they're just, they're, they're harder jobs as well. But um, no, generally we've done pretty good. We've been short a couple times this summer, um, but all in all, we've honestly all, um, navigated this whole thing pretty well. So, and I say I attribute that back to our team as far as, <clears throat> you know, workplace environment and everything so yeah what do you think you're doing yeah, we're saying it's i think go ahead jordan so what do you think you're doing different now than uh what you were back then 10 years ago as far as the culture thing you... that's everything <laughs> i think <laughs> um I literally just kind of redid it um you know just kind of look at, at some of the Workplace, kind of how we, we approach things, uh, the type of people we bring in. Um, you know, uh, the training, I think, was a huge thing. I think until even a few years ago, we didn't realize, you know, we thought we were training well, but we weren't. Um, you know, just continually continually working with people, um, treat them well. You know, it's, uh, I mean, that, that's, it, it's, it's also pretty simple, but, um, you know, we just try to pay a competitive wage and, uh, you know, uh, work with guys if we need to, but then also kind of have the standard too. I mean, with that many people around, it's like, no, this, this is what it is. And this is the rules. And you kind of hear it by it. Um, Cause back to Andy Reid versus Bill Belichick deal. Right. I mean, you kind of got to be, you get kind of loosey goosey and then that's kind of how everything gets. So you try to get, you know, not militant, but you know, the same, same way you have some structure that everybody appreciates and respects. And you, you get those people in and uh, you know, they bring in more people like them. I think it's probably a lot of it. So I, I always tell Jordan, we, we have a tough time. I mean, even at ours, I mean, cause when I grew up, I mean, it was pretty hard knocks. I'm, you know, you come out, you work your ass off, you get a paycheck and you didn't want to hear it. No, my dad didn't want to hear anything. My grandpa, nobody, nothing. Just there it is. There's your check. I mean, shit, we'd go for hours and not say a word, you know, just work. You know, Jordan tells me, you know, Jordan's like, dad, people want to be a part of something. They want to be a part of a team. They want to be, you know, they want, <laughs> I said, I hear you, but I don't have time for that shit. And that's why we don't keep a lot of people. And that's why Jordan's like that. This isn't going to work like this. And I, I hear you, but I'm like, Hey, wait a minute. I'm exchanging my hard earned money for their job. That's all they need that I'm not, I didn't, I don't ask for all this other shit. I just want the work. And now, yeah, Jordan's like, no, nah, we got to have these you know, we got to have these big events, we got barbecues and we got to go to concerts and we need to spend time together. And now everybody's got to get on like, Oh shit, you guys are killing me on this. So, but I'm with you. Jordan will tell you, I mean, we've everything we've done and read and study. I mean, people want more than just a check, a paycheck. I mean, it seems like anymore, especially if you're going to rely on them to trust them in any higher up types positions or things that are going to make decisions or anything like that. I mean, and it's just out here where we're at, it's tough. I mean, I just think it, it's, it's, it's hard to get the younger kids. Most of my younger kids I get out of college. If it, if it isn't their third or fourth job, it's usually a revolving door. I mean, they'll come in and have a meltdown the first few times they give them some constructive criticism then it's not a real fun environment for them. And 
they say it's not fun. <laughs> okay, we'll go to the next job. I guess maybe it'll be fun. I don't. It's tough to compete though. On my look at my side. I mean, on on some of the uh, like the trading or think tanks type stuff. If I got to compete against Google and they got foosball tables and chefs and shit, and you get a personal day every time. <laughs> you know, your dog goes down or something. I don't know. It's just hard to compete. So, and I know it's spilling over into everyone's space. So I don't know. I'm with you guys. I think wages are going to go higher. <laughs> We're going to have to be a lot nicer. We're going to have to have a better team environment, I guess. So I don't know. What do you guys think on these uh, grain side? What do you guys, uh, Kels, I remember you guys a long time back when you guys hedged out all that wheat. Remember when you guys sold that wheat several years when it got really high? When was that? 10 or 11? Didn't you guys sell like two or three years out? We might have done some back then. Uh, i just kicking myself yeah. now for not selling this Milo earlier. I sold some of it, but didn't sell all of it. So, yeah, I don't know. I think the big, the interesting thing is going to be these fertilizer and input costs and even availability of the stinking chemicals next year on this corn side of things. So I think it's going to be really hard to produce the corn bushels next year and therefore, you know, might support that corn price uh, going forward for another year here. So yeah. I definitely see it on the farm side, you know, actually trying to prepare, trying to get some fertilizer bought or, or some chemicals bought. It's going to be tough. It'll be real tough. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking to more guys every day that uh, they're kind of throwing out that 200 bushel number for uh, maybe they, they start switching out acres. And I'm hearing a lot saying they're going to, by June, that by June there's going to be fire sales. I'm like, boy, I hope you're right for your sake. But uh, it'd definitely be interesting on the acre side. How are the, uh, how are the input costs affecting the dairy side for you guys um, since you guys grow all your own or most of your own feed? Is it the, the factor? Yeah, the, well, the corn, the corn silage price, you know, is probably the highest maybe we've ever had uh, this fall. So that directly affects, you know, how we run our operation. Uh, you know, we have a flat price for every six months. It's uh, renegotiated based on feed cost. Um, we do the darndest to uh, procure it the cheapest that we can. And we, we have a certain margin we try to maintain and, you know, our price fluctuates up and down based on feed costs. So, yeah, it, it's going to be a booger. Uh, you know, we already jumped up this summer and, and going to have to jump again probably in January to, to maintain that, That which puts the squeeze on the dairy guys, you know, you know down the road. But uh, it, it's definitely going to be affecting the uh, dairy profitability, I, I would say, as well. Yeah, I, my two cents, if they matter. I don't think the acres get cut much, Todd. I mean, I mean, I've argued with you on this last couple of weeks. I mean, everybody says it. I've heard it a million times in my life through my career trading. Yeah, I would tell you, here's my twist on it. You tell me when the banks are going to stop lending, and I'll tell you when the acres are going to stop going higher. It's the same thing that happened in the housing industry. It isn't the builders stopped building. It's the, We didn't stop building until the banks quit loaning. Hell, I had buddies that had 500 spec homes sitting. Some of them six, 700 spec homes sitting. Well, shit, the bank just keep loaning money. I mean, it wasn't until the banks quit loaning money did you stop seeing builders <laughs> cut back and <laughs> the building come to a halt. So I'm letting you know, if everybody out there saying we're going to have fewer corn acres and everyone's going to cut, 
Oh, I know producers. They're going to be saying, oh, man, everyone's going to cut back corn acres. That means corn price is going to be sky high. I'm going to get, the, I'm going to plant this corn. I'm planting corn. I, I'm telling you. And if the bank's going to loan, we're going to, they're going to plant corn. I, now, maybe if you can't get the chemical or you, I will say this. I will suspect they plant the corn or we all plant the corn, but they may not put as much on it. I mean, you may not throw as much fungicide at it. You may not throw as much. You may not side dress or that, that could, you could see a yield drag next year now. I mean, I, I don't doubt that could happen, uh, but I, I don't know. I, I'm just, I question the acre thing once it actually happens and goes in the ground. I hope like hell though, that talk of all that keeps insurance price up at least or keeps, you know, keeps some floor under it. If the if price drops and we got to battle this inputs, that's really going to get nuts. And but like I said, a million times over, and I was taught this from a lot of the older trade. I mean, we've traded corn below the cost of production a lot more than we traded it above the cost of production. We always got to remind ourselves that corn prices have been below break evens more than they've been above. I promise. If you go back through history and look, I mean, so I don't know. I think it's going to be tricky that the logistics side, like you guys are saying on the inputs are going to be nuts. So I would tell people, I've told some guys recently, some guys locked a few things in just because I think you're going to have some rail shortages and you're going to have some other shortages in certain locations that could jam some people up because the ag retailer, in my opinion, quit housing so much supply over the last eight to 10 years because they got smoked. And now they've got big lines of credit. They did have until these last two years had big lines of credit extended out to everyone I'd go in their warehouses where they used to have a ton of supply. Oh, they didn't have anything. And they're like, shit, we're basically a bank now. I mean, we're just bankrolling producers that, that are still, you know, a couple, two years behind and then and trying to catch up, getting a point a month on the money. So they, so if they've got to order inventory and you've got everybody else coming online at the same time, whether it's through housing or automotive or whatever it may be, you're, you're going to have a pinch on the rail. I mean, there, I guarantee that I, and trucking, you know, like you guys are seeing. I mean, I well, think we're going to continue to see that problem. That could put some folks in, in a bit of a, a bit of a pinch on inputs. So what do we do when we uh, lock it in and then it comes time that we need it and they don't have it? Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, that's, there's a problem. You don't know that can happen in areas or depending on who you're doing business with. I mean, it's no different. We saw in, when wheat went sky high in 10 or 12, a lot of guys had sold their wheat, they thought. And then they went to deliver it and uh, said, we're closed. We're out of business. Too bad. Now wheat prices are back down to nothing, hardly. So it's like, I mean, you know, I don't, you don't know. I mean, I guess it's going to be tricky. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I think there's going to be some issues in some locations or places with certain things. So, and I don't foresee it. I mean, we traded crude to 85 bucks today. I don't think it's going to break anytime soon. I mean, I know guys like Todd, you were saying, yeah, good luck. And, you know, prices will be rock bottom. I don't think, I mean, anytime real soon. There's just, there's, they don't have the spigots turned on. They don't logistically everything. No one's, no one's got that much supply on hand to, to accommodate. So I don't, I think we stay kind of elevated for a while. And you guys know how long, you guys know for a fact, the last time we ran corn to six bucks, 
How long did they keep prices elevated on us? A long time. They're not going to walk that back just because now, I mean, now actually there's a reason and it's tight supply. And I don't think they walk it back aggressively anytime soon. So that's my two cents. But yeah, all these constraints, it's just hard to see how, how it breaks. Yeah. And what happens if they have a cold winter? I mean, put that on top of all these energy constraints we're already having with what's going on in China everything else it's yeah. just hard that's what i'm saying that's what i'm worried about so i hope i don't know i'm i like the new crop prices at 530 corn and you know you want to feather in a few sales but it's like i don't want to go too nuts here i mean but i i mean when's the last time you had a chance to make your first few sales plus five dollars not very often in our lifetime ever <laughs> so it's like I don't care about where they say inputs are. I mean, we've what the hell? We've had like three times in our life you could ever do that. I mean, not not many, not with new crop twenty two. So, uh, so I I think it's yeah, start somewhere, price something, especially even look at wheat. I mean, I'm looking at twenty three wheat. That's why I was saying Nathan. I remember a long time ago, and you got you guys did price some out pretty good. And I I think you know hell, I'm taking shots out in twenty three on some things. But. Just see where we end up. I because I think you can bring wheat online so fast globally now. I mean, they're gonna bring wheat online. I mean, they're gonna bring wheat online and they're gonna plant the shit out of it in places. And you know, it, it'll put a put a dent in uh, some US exports for sure, because the cheaper, you know, cheaper labor, cheaper everything in, in some of these other places on the wheat. So I I like getting a little further out with the wheat if you can get it done. So makes sense. <clears throat> New crop cash around here is, like I said, getting close to that 750. It's like, <laughs> yeah, probably better be locking wow. some in. Yes, yes. And I think there's going to be a lot more. I, and I know people are saying there's guys not planting as much wheat, but we, we've seen, I've seen a big uptick in wheat, you know, guys running wheat and then trying to double crop beans behind it, whether it's through Illinois and the other play. I mean, that's been the money. That's been money maker these last couple of years. So I, I think we'll even see some more of that. So, I think we're going to see a, a big uptick in wheat supply. And I, I don't think you're going to see a huge uptick in demand unless China just runs into some crazy weather problem or something even to that. I mean, it's going to take a big weather problem. But I don't know. I'm not seeing that on the in the cards. So we shall see. Jordan, that about it. We probably ran over. Another. All I got. Hey, all I got. Yeah, it's all good info. Todd, you got anything else? I just want these guys to know that you did buy me pizza last Friday. So he just don't take, don't listen to all the stuff that he talks about. Yeah. Yeah. But Todd's old school. We, we can work Todd. He can do whatever, you know, yeah. <laughs> Too funny. Appreciate your time. Well, look, yeah. I look forward to seeing you guys in January. So hell yeah. Maybe we, maybe all this crazy COVID shit will be behind us. I hope so. There we go. Yeah. Good night. Yes, sir. Should I have another buddy? I had another buddy I played ball with. He died last night. I'm like, damn, Let's keep guys keep dying down here. So about he was my age, 53, but I don't know. How's it up where you guys are? Not bad. We've been having a few around here still. Uh, had a neighbor had it pretty bad just down the road, you know. So people are still getting it, but don't really know too many that have died mainly just get sick and have no energy and glad yeah. they get over. No, I hear you. I got that damn booster shot. It damn near about, it made me a little sick. 
The first one, I had nothing. I thought they gave me a blank in the arm. I asked Leah, I said, that, I didn't feel anything. I mean, I wasn't any nothing. Second one, eh, maybe a little sore or something for a day or so in my arm. But the next one, the third, that booster that we went in and got Michelle, she was whining the blues kind of the first night. And I said, quit being a baby, suck it up. And then the next day, I was like, damn, I kind of feel, I, I felt a little flu-like or something. But hell, I don't know. I get, what the hell are we going to have to get one? A buddy of mine said he did all three. Didn't feel anything. Never even got nothing, nothing. He went in and got a damn shingle shot because he's getting that age where you got to get these, you know, he's like the shingle shot just dropped his ass for like two weeks. And I'm like, it's, if it ain't one thing, it's another. Who knows? So crazy. No fun. So guess we'll see how it plays out. I think they're going to get stricter and stricter on the vaccine though. Don't you guys? Well, this that any in any ways. Um, yeah. What are you saying, Justin? No, it's hard to see not. I mean, the rate that they pushed it. I'm surprised they pushed it this hard for this long, but um, yeah. I got a buddy that's uh well, one of my friends, they're they're in the union, uh, a couple blue collar, different blue collar unions, <laughs> and they're starting to get they're getting the heat now that they gotta get it. And uh vaccine and then one of my buddies he, he's a carpet layer and he's like dude you ain't gonna believe it. i mean they're making a carpet layer making them get it because i guess you know they do some bigger commercial jobs so a lot of the bigger commercial people aren't letting them in the building if they're not vaccinated so it's like wow i don't know i mean it's kind of gonna get nuts yep we'll see so yep all right guys well i appreciate your time thanks again. all right okay. see you guys yeah, thank you